Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, I'm joined in the studio with P Nate, and I'm Pooty here to bring you how to engage culture with a biblical worldview. Apologize right up front, I've got a bit of a cold, so Nate, you're going to have to take a lot of this away today, I think. Fair enough. <laughs> I feel like I interrupt you more than I should anyway, so this time uh, you've given me permission off the top. So <laughs> That's, That was probably a bad idea. Fair enough. Anyway. Well, <laughs> so, you got to live with it now. Yeah. Well, so before we get started, there's a couple things that have been on my mind that I think we need, we need to address. Okay. Because two things are happening right now. One is old, and it's going to date the fact that we are just out of touch with the... with current events and culture, I guess, is okay. the way to say it. And the other one is a current thing. So the first one I want to talk about is this 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 girl that's become famous on uh, on the internet. Have you heard of this Cash Me Outside girl? No, you were just telling me about it, and I feel like it was... Uh, it, it's, it passed me by. So You said it's a couple years old, right? It, I, I never heard of it. So. Appa- apparently. I, the reason it, I knew about the video from like a couple years ago or whenever it was, like a year ago or whatnot... It was to give some background to our listeners, because I know there are some people who probably are just as out of touch with stuff as I am. Don't spend much time on the interwebs. (laughs) Don't know what the interweb is and how to connect it with all the tubes and stuff. Um, On YouTube, there was this girl who went on to Dr. Phil, who I realize isn't a real doctor, but that's his name. Um, First name doctor, last name Phil. Yeah, that's what I assume, right? Um, Anyway, he brought this girl on to basically correct her behavior in terms of the fact that she's... Like the boot camp kids they always bring Yes, up. yes, because yeah, yeah, okay, she's yeah, yeah. abusive to her mother, doesn't respect her parents, just a terrible human being. Yeah. Have no problems with Dr. Phil correcting behavior because, let's be honest, sometimes kids need a cup in the head. Um, I don't know if that's PC, but I'm fine with it. <laughs> anyway, in the middle of this like recording on TV, somebody in the crowd like kind of challenges her, and she says the phrase, which I don't even think makes sense in English, but cash me outside, which... Anybody who's heard it probably has seen the YouTube clip, which is apparently like, I'll fight you outside, which oh. one, the girl's like, like cash, th- like as in money cash, like cash me outside or catch me outside. I, I think it's supposed to be catch me outside is, but like but the way she says like, like cash, she, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, slang. Okay. It's, it's all, it's all these fancy words that I don't get anymore. Okay. Uh, but anyway, what, that's not even what I'm upset about. What I'm upset about is that this girl, I just found this out this week has taken this correction of her behavior and some marketing firm or whatever has developed her into a rap like music star by okay, taking so, so the youtube video got enough hits that she becomes an internet celebrity and then they're ca- cashing in <laughs> yes yeah. good play on yeah. words there my friend cashing in on on the fact that she's a horrible person and everybody knows it yes so the, they basically have made a horrible person a multimillionaire based on the fact yeah, that she's just a terrible person and I'm done with it. I, <laughs> I, I can't handle it. I could like, why is Perez like uh, Paris Hilton and people like this who have no right. morals, no, like n- no skills. It's not like they're good at something. Right. Have just become famous. The fact that I know who the Kardashians are makes me sick. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably get some sort of like cease and desist order for saying that because they own the entire world apparently now. But I'm like, it's it's literally frustrating. So to me. people without any skill or any contribution to humanity being famous and getting rich off essentially just because people clicked on the, a video that was posted about them. That's 
that's what you're ranting about right now. Just so we're clear. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Okay. I'm just upset I'm with about you on that. I'm with you on that. I'm not going to challenge you. I have I have zero problems with somebody who can actually sing or who's actually yeah. talented or actually funny your, your becoming buddy, famous. Your buddy uh, Justin Biebs got his uh, start with uh, a few YouTube subscribers, didn't he? Exactly, right? Like the Biebs, <laughs> the Biebs, but he has a good voice, Nate. That's the I, difference. I know, I know. Eh? It's a terrible human. Very likable guy. Ish, maybe. We don't know. We, he's got great eyes. Yeah, he hasn't responded yet. He hasn't responded yet. So he, we, he, we haven't booked him on the podcast just he, yet. He did put a Christian fish on the back of his car, though. Which we all know means you are safe. That's the answer to that question. <laughs> the, it that even says Jesus posted, in it. Though, yeah, it does. But the fish is smaller than the actual Mercedes symbol. So it's not like it really stands out. Well, I never That's said... called hiding your light under a bush. <laughs> <laughs> and the song tells you not to do that, Booty. We all grow in sanctification, though. He's still young. Right, He's right. still growing. Right. But that's, that's only one of the things that have got me fired up. <laughs> what but else has got you I'm, fired well, up? Well, I'm going to toss this one to you because... The only person I know who's more fired up about this whole thing is you. And that's NFL players and this whole, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to take a knee instead of stand for the national anthem. Yeah. Which, this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, you so go. this, you're right. This does bug me. This bugs me for a lot of reasons. So for those of you who are listening who maybe don't know uh, what we're talking about here, in, in the NFL right now, there's this whole thing and it's trending on, on uh, Twitter and everything. It's the hashtag take a knee. And there's a bunch of uh, NFL athletes who, during the national anthem, are taking a knee. They're, they're refusing to stand for the national anthem. And, and this is, I guess, a bit of a continuation from Colin Kaepernick did this, right? And and uh, I think he started it, yeah. Yeah, and, and so now everybody's kind of doing it. And and from, from what I understand, um, it's a protest, basically, because Trump, uh, everybody, everybody thinks Trump is racist. And because Trump is racist and he is the president of the United States, they're going to kneel during the national anthem to show that they don't agree with the direction or the trajectory of the United States. Well, hold on. Let me, can I ask a question? Yeah. Didn't they already do that when they cast a vote? Yeah. Well, and so this is my point, right? Like, it, there's a couple things. There's a couple things that really bother me. Number one, like... Somebody asked me the other day, uh, you know, what's with this whole take a knee thing? And my response, because I didn't want to get into a big rant about it, was simply Democrats are crybabies. Um, <laughs> so we, I'm sure we'll get some messages about that. But my point is, is like, yeah, exactly. Democracy. Trump got elected. Like him or hate him, he is your president. And uh, and so there's there's a whole lot of people who voted for him and there's a whole lot of people who didn't vote for him. But if you believe in the democratic process, he is your your president and you have a right to protest. I have no problem. You want to take a knee, take a knee. What is really bothering me about this is number one, uh, how the media is responding to this, right? Like the media is all about free speech. If the people protesting have the opinion that they want to share, right? They're not about free speech. If free speech conflicts with their own worldview, but they're all about free speech. If, uh, if it's these, you know, athletes doing things like this, the, the, the other thing that bothers me is like, um, the media was all over the NFL talking about systemic racism in the NFL because Colin Kaepernick didn't have a job because they thought he was being blackballed. Well, here's the thing. Absolutely. Athletes have a right to take a knee, but private owners also have uh, a right to fire you for taking a knee, right? Um, football fans also have a right to um, stop supporting teams who are taking a knee. This is the point. Like free free speech is a real thing, but the repercussions of the speech you choose to say uh, you can't be saved from. So 
my my biggest problem with this is once again um well okay so so that that's part of my problem you that, can't that see the, you guys can't see the steam radiating <laughs> off his head right but now but here's I love the it. other thing in all honesty we, you and i know that there's no neutrality right no, that it's a myth it, neutrality is a myth but Things like mainstream media, things like the NFL, sports franchises, these ought to be places where people are striving for neutrality, at least nonpartisanship, right? So the reason there's such crazy division in the states right now is because places like the NFL are getting political, right? The NFL used to be a place where a Republican and a Democrat can come together and cheer for the Cincinnati Bengals together. But now they can't because of the hyper-politicization of everything, including the NFL. So now Democrats and Republicans, right right wing, left wing, um, are getting divided even on what should be relatively neutral ground like sports. And so it's just adding to the division. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really tumultuous situation in the States right now. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not a fan. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not a fan either. Um, I, I just it, it it irritates me so much that that one I don't I don't I to be honest I don't care if they kneel for the national anthem yeah I, I, I'm not American I don't yeah I'm not even but, that but patriotic I do period, recognize but. I do recognize that if you fought for the country and the flag means something to you um, protesting in that way dishonoring the flag and the country is not the way to protest Donald Trump. Right. So I, I do recognize that I'm, I'm with you on that. Like the American flag doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I'm Canadian. Even the Canadian flag doesn't mean as much to me as I think the American flag means to some of its uh, veterans. Right. No, exactly. so they have to recognize that. I, I, I can't speak from a position of like experience in terms of like veteran or anything like that. I, I'm very thankful for the, yeah. for what people have sacrificed on my behalf. But um, what I was what I'm trying to get is that I, I think it's 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 annoying to me that they've taken this is their avenue to to protest the cultural behavior in the in the NFL when they're they have absolutely no problems with the fact that there's you know people who are constantly being thrown in jail for DUIs beating their wives right. yeah they don't the NFL never takes a stand on those things yeah they suspend for three games three right. games yeah seriously they don't get they don't lose pay like it has to get to the situation where there's video proof of somebody dragging a woman through a Right. through a hotel or whatever and it was. even then people get divided on on how that should have been handled and whether or not they handled it correctly exactly instead we're gonna we're gonna kick tebow out of the league because he's kind of a weirdo um which which yeah to be yeah whatever you can't really throw so that makes sense but kaepernick is a is a fine player there are teams in the nfl who should employ kaepernick right but because this is a thing we we won't do that whereas ray rice or you know ray lewis who killed the dude allegedly <laughs> i say that so that we don't get sued yeah they're fine with that right. because you know he's but awesome. as soon as a political issue that people can attach themselves to if they're talking about feminism if they're talking about gay rights if they're talking about racism well now we can jump on the bandwagon here because we can push a, a, a democratic agenda yeah, right it's it, it is it is very very frustrating well, it's funny it's funny the democratic agenda thing is hilarious too because a couple of years ago, there was a, I think his name was Samuel Adam. I might have his name wrong if I apologize, but he was supposed to be a first round pick lineman yeah, yeah. who came out as openly gay, ended up going in the seventh round, which that doesn't happen in the NFL. He didn't make the league. Why? Because they're anti, they're, they're not comfortable with the whole, of the idea of somebody being gay in the NFL. They didn't take a stand. There was nobody bowing on the sidelines for that. Right. But then it becomes 
passe and trendy for everybody to be raging against Trump. What's ha- what happens? The NFL all yeah. bowers, which fires me up even more. I know we have to get going, but I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of this day, too. I want to toss, toss the whole thing in the bin. All of this is going in the bin. The whole idea that celebrities have an opinion yeah. blows no, my mind. I- they, yeah, and, and you they know, have not of earned. Of course, they have an opinion, but why do we care about their opinion? Like, why are we listening to the political opinions of Johnny Depp? Right? Who cares what Johnny Depp thinks about politics? You can act, stay acting. Don't talk to me about politics. If I want to hear about politics, I'll listen to somebody who makes their career out of political commentary. Yeah, or ex- exactly. Um, that's exactly that's exactly my point. I, I'm I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it, Nate. Yeah. Anyway, but we're, let's let's yeah. wrap that up well, before and, we take the whole well, podcast. One last it. thing, just so that our listeners are clear, in case you haven't listened to us the whole way, we are not Trump supporters. We do not like Donald Trump. If I was uh, American, I would not have voted for Donald Trump. I would not have voted for Hillary either. And I think that that Hillary might have been a worse evil, but we are definitely not Trump supporters. And and so I say that just to say one of the other things that the that yeah, the, the the players taking a knee and the mainstream media don't understand is them pushing their socialist leftist uh, you know identity politics down people's throats with stuff like this is exactly what got Trump elected. This is exactly why. Trump got elected because people got tired of this kind of BS. Can I say BS on our podcast? It, yeah, as long as you say BS and not the <laughs> okay. whole thing. Well, and, and so this is my problem is like, I don't want a Republican party in the states that's backing Donald Trump, but you're just pushing people towards a polarizing figure like Donald Trump because you're so, you're, you're pushing your ridiculous gender politics and, and, uh, and socialist agenda down people's throats with stuff like this. And guess what? Most football fans, they want to watch football. They see this stuff, they get angry at the left and they vote for a guy like Donald Trump. It pushes people further towards Donald Trump. So it just, it's, yeah. The only thing I like about the, like Donald Trump is that I can refer to him as the Donald. The Don. I just, I'm very big into the, and then someone's name. Yeah, yeah. Like if I could get away with it, it'd be like you're the Nate, but it just doesn't work because it doesn't work I already have the H. It doesn't work for so me. it works out. Um, anyway, yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. No, we're, we're <laughs> all fired up for this though. So that's okay. Show. <laughs> it will be. Hopefully, it will be a good show. So um, what we're doing today is we're kind of uh, responding actually to an episode. Uh, so we're proud members of the Berean Media Network. We haven't said that yet today. Um, that includes our, our friends at the, the Front Pew podcast, the Layman's Cup podcast, and the Two Thieves podcast. The Two Thieves podcast, uh, a couple of buddies of ours, Justin and Brandon, uh, and uh, and they are our brothers in Christ, and uh, we agree with them on like 95% of the content they throw out. Um, but we disagree with them on, on uh, a, a particular issue. So they did an episode on cessationism. So uh, our episode last week, we actually had uh, Dr. Sam Storms on. So I think Dr. Storms did a really good job of kind of laying out what a Calvinist uh, or a charismatic Calvinist looks like. Uh, and that's kind of the camp that we would fall into. We, I'd prefer the term continuationist. Um, so cessationism simply means that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, things like prophecy, tongues, miracles, healing, have ceased. They died uh, with the, the death of the apostles. Uh, that's cessationism. Continuationism, which is where we would fall, simply means that the, the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit have continued. And all the gifts of the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit that were around in the New Testament have continued. Um, and that would be our position. So if you haven't listened to that, that's episode 63. 
of the Two Thieves podcast, and we would encourage you to go and listen to that. Uh, if you haven't heard that or you're not going to listen to it, uh, hopefully uh, you'll still enjoy this episode because what we're essentially doing is we're we're responding specifically to the thieves' arguments, but for the most part, a lot of the thieves' arguments for cessationism uh, against the supernatural continuation of the, the gifts um, are, are mostly uh, kind of common arguments that we would find for cessationists. So essentially what we're doing is we're, we're responding to the accusations of, of cessationism. So, um, Absolutely. We should also point out that um, just in case everybody thinks that we're having an argument on air with the thieves, we plan this. This yeah, was yeah, yeah. this yeah. is something we talked about privately behind the scenes saying, hey, let's do this. Let's lay out both sides because this is this is a secondary issue. This yep. isn't like yep. a salvation issue. And it's one of those things that people do have to wrestle with. Yeah, and they sure. wrestle with it for a sure. lot down in, in St. Louis. I know yeah. um, they've articulated the, part of the reason they started their podcast was in response to a very charismatic area that they live. Right. And, you know, Canada's a bit conservative, so it's an interesting thing that we're in in this debate. So we just want to point out, this is not us attacking the thieves or them attacking us. Yeah. We love them. Yeah. We- I actually exchanged a couple messages with uh, with Justin yesterday, just uh, making sure we were all okay. And, and uh, some of the conversation that's happening uh, behind the scenes with the Berean Media Network is still all friendly. Uh, so we're good. We're good with the thieves. We love the thieves. And uh, we, we can't wait to get together and share a beer with them at some point. Um, so or coffee or co- <laughs> no, no, they've assured me despite their, their, uh, Baptist <laughs> denomination, they'll, they'll have a beer with me. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. So, uh, okay. So first of all, let's start with what we affirm. All right. We, we affirm with the thieves that the office of apostle has ceased. Yep. Um, that, uh, new Testament, uh, lays out some, some ground rules for what was an apostle and, and, and um, a, a face-to-face encounter with the risen and resurrected Jesus is, is part of that, uh, the ability to write scripture and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so we agree the office of apostle done over with. We also agree that the canon is closed, right? We yes. don't we don't believe that in any sort of revelation of, of God um, that anything is on par with Scripture that comes out now. Um, and certainly we, we uh, would affirm that the canon is closed, the Bible that we have is all that we need for life and godliness. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, absolutely. 100%. So we definitely affirm that alongside the thieves. We also share a lot of their concerns. So um, I actually felt like maybe they went a little too far on this stuff. Not too far as in they, they yeah, not, not that they went too far, but simply that they made this more of an argument for cessationism. And I don't think it's an actual argument for cessationism, but we would share your concerns uh, about governance, right? So one of the big things is, you know, how are we governing the gifts, Right. Is, is there danger in abusing the gifts? Absolutely. We're, we're right there with you guys on this. Um, the, the abuse of the, of the gifts is absolutely uh, rampant in the North American church. We, we would just say that that's not a reason not to believe them, right? We want to go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Yeah, that's, that's kind of where, where I want to start. I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. I think, I think in my experience, a lot of times when people are arguing for cessationalism, and I'm, I, I think the thieves towed this line a little bit. What they're really arguing is against charismania. Right. And I, I am very I'm, uncharismatic myself. We stand myself. with you against charismania. <laughs> exactly. I, I am not for crazy charismania where it goes too far. I think there needs to be checks and balances. I think there needs to be real discernment into what is and what isn't. Right. 
good for the body of the church. What I, what I reject is the idea that the Holy Spirit has stopped bestowing these things at times throughout, throughout church history. And I, and I don't see that in scripture. So, so, um, the other thing we can affirm alongside the thieves is that, um, continuationism can lead to the charismania that we're talking about, right? So it can be a slippery slope when we start talking about prophecy and tongues and healing. Um, Those things can be taken too far. Those things can be idolized. People can chase the gifts rather than the gift giver. Um, They can use them for personal gain and they can get, they can develop an improper theology of spiritual gifts. Absolutely. We agree with you on that. But once again, we don't think that that's a reason not to embrace continuationism. I, 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 would, I would liken that to say, if you believe in God's complete sovereignty, then you might be tempted to say, why pray if God is sovereign? If he already knows the end from the beginning. If my prayer doesn't actually change anything, why pray? Or even, even further to that, if election is true and Calvinism is true, then why should I evangelize? God is going to save whom he's going to save, and my evangelism doesn't do anything about that. And of course, along with the thieves, we would say that's ridiculous because the Bible actually teaches that you should pray and that you should evangelize because those are means by which God acts. So even though God is sovereign, we should still pray, we should still evangelize. So just because one thing might lead to thinking in error doesn't mean that we shouldn't believe what the Bible says about them. So ultimately to us, what does the Bible teach? Now, one of the things that I heard, um, I think it was Brandon say that I thought was um, was interesting is he kind of said that um, the the argument that the the burden of proof lies on the cessationist is an argument from silence. And I I disagree with that. So he said, just like liberal Christians uh, would say, well, Jesus never spoke directly about homosexuality, therefore homosexuality must be okay. That's, I I don't think that's a good comparison (laughs) that he made there because here's the thing that would be true. If the Bible didn't say, didn't talk about spiritual gifts at all. Right. And then we say, well, it doesn't say we can't use them. And they're saying, well, it doesn't say, you know, it doesn't it doesn't say they've ceased. It doesn't say they continue. And I agree with them. It doesn't say that they've ceased. It doesn't say they continue. But when the New Testament is full of instances where the early church apostles, the early church members, the pastors, the elders were all operating in the spiritual gifts then the burden of responsibility doesn't lie on the cessationist to say that those things haven't continued. Because if that's the normal experience of the everyday Christian in the New Testament, then to say that suddenly those things have stopped and what we see in the New Testament isn't normative, then the burden of responsibility does lie on you because it's not an argument from silence. It's an overwhelming argument from this was normative in the New Testament. So I do think the burden of responsibility lies on the cessationist side, and I don't think that they adequately um, made the case that gifts have ceased. Yeah, I, um, I think I think part of the problem, and I again in love, I love you too. Um, part of the problem with uh, where they where they went with this argument is that they put a lot of their their trust into in the scripture. They obviously they they love the Bible, but they then took that to the confessions and yeah. what did they interpret yeah. history, what had happened in church history. Yeah. And 
looked at that and said, okay, that was because this is, hasn't happened or isn't happening at the same level that it seemed to be happening in the old Testament, sorry, in the new Testament, um, that it, therefore it ceased. And I don't, and they base that on the confession. And I, I, I'm struggle with that because if we look at what the Bible says about spiritual gifts, there is nothing to indicate that this is not going to continue. There's nothing that says it's going to stop. And there's nothing that says it's going to, it, nothing that says explicitly that it's going to continue for all time. It says that the gifts will stop when Christ returns. And so if you look at it, it, it the burden of, like you're saying, it, the burden of proof then actually flips not from, from the continuational side because scripture just says they're, they're, they're happening. Right. It flips to the cessational side. And then, and for me, that means you would have to have a very convincing argument from scripture to be able to say right. that they had ceased. And I don't see that. And, and let me just also say that I actually think that article one, one of the London Baptist confession that they used doesn't actually make the case for cessationism. Uh, it talks about specifically the, um, the special revelation as canonized written work has ceased. That's specifically what it means. Now, they talked about how you can infer from that, and I believe they are you know, inferring from that, but I don't think that that's quite as clear as they think it is. But regard, and, and then their other argument was essentially you know, uh, church history and guys like Calvin and stuff like that. And I would just, I, I would just uh, if, if you want to look into um, the historicity of continuationism versus cessationism, um, Sam Storms, Dr. Sam Storms has a wonderful blog post called Spiritual Gifts uh, in the church, in church history, spiritual gifts in church history. And that's found on his website, samstorms.com. And, uh, and he makes a really good uh, argument for, um, the fact that, uh, continuationism is, has been considered orthodox and, and is, was actually very normative throughout church history. And there are a lot of reformers, a lot of Puritans, a lot of early church fathers who held to this view. So I don't think one of these views over the other has the backing of church history by their side, but the reason we're not spending time on those specific people and naming names is because we just want to get to the Bible. What does the Bible say? And so the first kind of argument from the thieves that I want to try to refute is this notion that, so so what they kept saying was that the, the gifts that they believe have ceased were the apostolic sign and wonders gifts. So this, and this is a common uh, cessationist argument is that the, the spiritual gifts like gifts of miracles, gifts of healing, gifts of tongues, gifts of prophecy. Casting out um, demons. Yeah, like were sign gifts to authenticate the messenger and the message of the apostles. So they would say things like, you know, Peter and Paul and James and John, these guys operated within these gifts so that the message of the gospel and the, the new message, the new message of Christianity would be authenticated um, that they would be authenticated as true apostles and and as true messengers of God. Um, that sounds good because, like I said, we affirm too that the office of apostle has has ceased, has has closed. So that sounds good because then you can say, well, see, the apostles were the ones using these gifts. The gifts of uh, or the office of apostleship has ended. Therefore, right? the The only problem with that is that <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't actually say that, that, that it was the apostles who were operating within these gifts. The New Testament actually talks about people who used 
these gifts who were well outside the the apostles. So um, the people who exercised these miraculous gifts, including healing, um, uh, tongues, um, uh, casting out of demons, this kind of stuff. So here are just some people that the New Testament says. So in Luke 10, or I think it's also in Matthew uh, 9, I believe, there were 70 who Christ commissioned go out, right? And he says to them, he gave them authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick and all that kind of stuff. So there's 70 people who were commissioned and given the power to exercise in these miraculous gifts. And, and that's prior to them becoming apostles, right? Like that's prior to the right. office of apostleship being set up at Pentecost. Right. This is Jesus bestowing power to 72 people yes. to do a miraculous thing. Right. There's also at least 108 people among the 120 who were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. So they operated within these spiritual gifts. Um, Stephen in Acts 6 and 7, Philip in Acts 8, Ananias in Acts 9, the church members of Antioch. So we're not even talking about people who are named in scripture at this point, but just church members in Antioch, according to Acts 13. Uh, some anonymous converts in Ephesus, according to Acts 19, verse 6. The, woman, the women in Caesarea, according to Acts 21, verses 8 and 9. The unnamed brethren um, uh, in Galatia, according to Galatians 3, verse 5. Uh, believers in Rome, according to Rome, or Romans uh, 12, verses 6 to 8. Believers in Corinth, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. And Christians in Thessalonica, uh, uh, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 and 20. So you can't say that it was these are sign gifts that the apostles were using when, I mean, that's, that's, that's apostles, that's early church heroes like Stephen, that's random church members in Corinth, in Thessalonica, in Rome. I mean, that's all kinds of people. And, and then you would have to say, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, where we talk about this stuff a lot, Paul is talking to regular church members in Corinth and telling them that they should earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So Paul is not telling non-apostles that they ought not to be operating within these gifts. In fact, he's saying you should earnestly seek them. And it seems, according to uh, all those verses that we just said and throughout the book of Acts, there are plenty of non-apostles operating within these miraculous gifts. So given all that, you can't say that it was just the apostles who were operating with the gifts. And you can't say that because the apostles died out, the gifts ought to have died out as well. I just don't think you can. No, I I don't don't think you can either. Um, and partly why I don't think you can say that from Scripture is because the, when the Bible is talking about gifts, it's talking about the body of Christ getting the gifts. And so I think part of the problem when we start talking about spiritual gifts and this idea is almost a misunderstanding of what the gift is for. Um, so right. what I mean by that is I, I think a lot of times, and this is where I think charismania gets it very wrong, yep. is that they think, I have the gift of tongues. And right. it's like, no, 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 you don't have the gift of tongues. God has used tongues through you to bless the church. The church is receiving the gift in this area at that time. The gift isn't, I'm, I, can, I can faith heal or I can do faith healing. The gift is God using you to bless the body there. Right. And I think that once you understand that the idea is, like there is no one on earth who is a healer. There is no one on earth who is... I speak in tongues regular. God has to bestow those gifts on you at, at a certain time. And I think that's where I think 
we would maybe differ with the thieves that they would say that can't happen now. Right. Where I say, no, God can still heal people right. whenever he chooses to do that. And he generally, just like he's done, in my opinion, from the beginning, he uses human agents to accomplish what his divine will is. Right. Um, and so I think, I think with that, so if you go to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, right, it talks about that uh, to each is given, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, to each, talking about each church member, he's, he's writing to the people in Corinth. He starts chapter 12 by saying, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. So what he's about to say is, I, look, here's the church in Corinth. I don't want you to not know about spiritual gifts. Let me teach you about them. And, uh, and so then he goes on and he says, you know, there's a variety of gifts in verse 4, but the same God who distinguishes uh, and who distributes. In verse 7, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that word manifestation has a temporary component embedded within the actual word itself. So this is talking about God giving particular gifts for a particular time for a particular purpose, not giving somebody the gift of healing that they can then wield at, however at they will. want. Yeah, this isn't this isn't uh this isn't uh receiving, you know, superpowers, right? This isn't hey, we're 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 big comic book nerds, but the, we're not talking about superpowers. We're talking about a miraculous <laughs> god who does miraculous things to show that he still interacts with the world that he created. Uh so then verse 8, uh, to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, another the faith uh, of the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another uh, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to the other uh, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what we would say is, is simply that these are gifts that Paul is telling the church in Corinth that they ought to earnestly seek. He doesn't want them to be un, uninformed, but what he wants them to recognize is that the spirit sovereignly distributes these things when and how he wills. Now, one thing we would agree with the, the thieves on is that they said these wouldn't be called miraculous if they were commonplace. And, and I agree with you. So we don't think that, you know, these things should be happening every service or every time Christians gather. They are miraculous. And, um, and they, they happen uh, at, the, at the discretion of the Holy Spirit when and how he wills. But if they were commonplace, they wouldn't be called miracles, right? So I, we, we wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Um, but what we're saying is that we, what we can't say is that God no longer does this and God can no longer do this um, because scripture doesn't tell us that. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think you have a theory on this. I, I call it your ramp up theory. Oh boy. And I, <laughs> so we're going to, let's, let's delve into that yeah, a little yeah. bit. So that, because I, I think one of the most convincing arguments for cessationalism is the idea that it seems a lot more prevalent then than it than it does in our churches now, right. even though there's way more Christians now than there were at that time. So I, I, I'll break it down and then you can explain it in sure. full. So yeah, yeah. the idea here is that when, when Jesus descended on earth, well, he came to conquer a kingdom. Well, that kingdom belonged at that time to a different ruler. And that ruler obviously would be the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him. When Christ is in his ministry... And directly right after his ministry, when he's, you know, risen and he bestows the Holy Spirit, Christ's ministry is under its greatest attack at that time. They put him to death, but that also means demonic activity 
which we see during Christ's time far more prevalent than every other time throughout right. scripture has been ramped up. Right. The same thing happening in reverse with God pouring out a spirit on his people in a ramped up matter to combat and to show and to authenticate and all that stuff. Right. The, the divinity of who Christ is. And I'll let you continue because you're going to break that down for us a lot more. <laughs> well, yeah. And we don't have time to get into the whole thing, but yeah, that, that is the idea. So Matthew chapter 12 talks about how um, Jesus is casting out demons and the Pharisees accuse him of casting them out by the power of Beelzebul. And he basically says a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. And he says, and Jesus goes on to say, um, if you want, basically I'm paraphrasing Jesus here. If you want to plunder the goods of a strong man, you have to bind up the strong man too. And, and in that, that parable, in that analogy, Jesus is basically saying that's what he came to the cross to do, to bind up Satan so that his goods can be plundered. What goods is he talking about? Well, it's, it's the world that was surrendered to Satan, right? When, when, uh, when Jesus, when Satan tempts Jesus, right, he says, the third temptation is bow down to me, I'll give you the nations. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say they don't belong to you. Uh, he says, he, you know, he, he combats that by saying, you know, you shall bow down to no other God. He, Satan recognized what Jesus was here for. He was here to get back the nations, get back the world that was surrendered to him by Adam when he uh, uh, sinned in the Garden of Eden. So all that to say that there was a cosmic battle going on and there still is a cosmic battle going on as Christians take back the nations, which is Jesus' inheritance, according to Psalm 2. So there's a cosmic battle going on, but that battle was at its pinnacle, right? The, the knockout punch, so to speak, the Normandy invasion that was successful was Christ on the cross. And so he came, and that was the decisive blow. That, that's where the enemy knows. They're in retreat mode. That's what missions is. Missions is going back and, and taking territory that belonged to, to Satan and taking it back, under the, putting it under the feet of Jesus in victory. That's, that's the church age. That's the age that we're living in. So the point here is that demonic activity, uh, or, or we'll just say spiritual activity, both good and bad, was ramped up during this, this very key pinnacle moment in this cosmic battle. That's why Jesus dealt with more demons than we see now. But that's also why, and, and this is some of the discussion that's been going on behind the scenes at the BMN, some of the laymen are bringing up the, the, the point that um, both spiritual gifts and demonic activity seem to be more prevalent on the mission field. Right. And, and I would agree with that. I, I actually really respect the thieves in that they're saying, nope. <laughs> and the reason they're saying no is because they're trying to be consistent. Right. So you have to reject the stories of supernatural gifts being manifest on the mission field if you're going to reject them on North American soil, because God either does that or he doesn't do that. So they're trying to be consistent. I would agree with the layman that um, spirit, supernatural spiritual activity is ramped up on the mission field because that's the context with which God has poured out his spirit in the past. The 70 apostles that he sent out um, in uh, Luke chapter 10, he gave them the power to do that. And what was the context of that power? On mission. Go. Go to the lost sheep of Israel, and I've given you this power to authenticate your message. So in that regard, the, the thieves are absolutely correct. But the, I, I would just tend to be on the other side of things and that, yes, God still does work this way, both on the mission field and here. So the reason we don't see as much supernatural power now is because we aren't in this battle every single day. God did not promise you supernatural gifts of healing so that you can cure your cold on the way to work. God gave this, 
distributes the supernatural gift of healing so that on the mission field, when you are engaging with people who are trapped by uh, false ideologies, that the, the power of the gospel that you're bringing to them can be authenticated. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's important to point out again that it's that God bestows them when he chooses to bestow them. It's not something you can call upon like a superpower, right? Right. So there are times where you know, Paul or Peter could heal, but then other times where they wouldn't or right. couldn't. Like, and Peter, you know, in the story with Ananias, he turned, basically called condemnation down on him and he died. Peter probably wasn't walking around saying that to people, everybody who lied to him. They weren't all dying, you know what I mean? It's because that one specific time it happened. That's a very crude example, but what? it right. makes sense. I, I think I think one of the arguments the thieves made um, in the, in their in their podcast was that God relates to us the same way from the beginning of time all the way to now. No, no, they were, they were saying that he doesn't change, but he just changes the way in which he relates to us. Yeah, I worded they, that poorly, didn't I? Well, no, but <laughs> but the point is, is that they were trying to use that as a case for them when you and I kind of looked at each other as we were listening to them and we said, I think that makes our point. Yes. <laughs> and and so we think we that makes... Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. No, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, um, the way God has relates to us has changed, and it changed basically at Pentecost, that once Christ rose and ascended, he poured the spirit onto us. And that changed the way God is relating to his, his people now as a new covenant has been initialized. He's pouring out, he's poured out his spirit onto us now. And that's changed fundamentally the way we live our Christian lives. Right. So before we had the law and we were bound to the law and we had to do things and our righteousness had to be counted to us as faith to be saved at that point. After the cross, Christ's righteousness is what saves us. So that is a, a fundamental change. And what we're what we are saying is that that does help prove a continuationalist point because Jesus and God has is relating to His people in a different way that wasn't prior to the New Testament. So in this area, right. you have to go by what the New Testament is saying. Right. So, right. That. So, one of the probably the strongest argument that I think the thieves made was the argument that if these gifts are from God, then then they're they're therefore they're divine, which is exactly what from God means. And if they're divine, then they ought to be infallible, because if they're from God, who is infallible, then they are infallible. And if they're not, if they're not, or if they're infallible, why would they not be on the same? level of scripture. That's probably the the best argument and the most convincing argument. And if I could just talk directly to the thieves for a minute, I get that that is why you hold to your view, because it is a scary reality to think that God is speaking to people in an infallible way, because when we have, when we have the Bible in front of us, that's, you know, that's, that's there. The unknown of what God is then going to speak is, um, is, is a scary scary thing. So let me put your mind at ease for a minute and say, while we do believe that prophecy is divine, uh, that it is from God, and that it is infallible, we don't think it's on the same part level of Scripture because of this exact reason, because God relates to his people differently. When the Holy Spirit is now resides within all believers, I think uh, Sam Storms talk, uh, talks about this as the uh, democ- uh, 
democratization of the spirit, right? Uh, the, the, the democracy of all believers that we all receive the spirit. So now the Holy Spirit dwells within each one of us and God relates to each one of us individually. Now, we wholeheartedly believe that God is not going to contradict his character. The Bible is complete and sufficient in its revelation of God. So God, through uh, words of wisdom, uh, through prophecy, through whatever, is not going to reveal something new about himself because the, the word of God is complete in the, in the divine revelation of himself. So then what is the need then for extra revelatory gifts. And that would simply to be to illuminate, right? The thieves are big on this. The Holy Spirit does illuminate scripture. And we would simply say that's that's part of God's uh, gift of prophecy, part of God's gift of wisdom as he leads us to truth. And, and you know, they said, well, show me that because they're big on, go, you know, uh, Deuteronomy 18 says, if somebody prophesies and it doesn't come to pass, kill them, right? So, like so many things, we believe the cross changes everything. And we know that the thieves believe that too. They believe that the new heavens, the new earth were inaugurated, the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. So we live, so we live on the, in the new heavens and the new earth. So I would just direct them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. This is in kind of his closing exhortation. Paul says to the Christians in Thessalonica, he says, do not quench the spirit. Okay, so that's just a, a kind of Christian buzz phrase, but what does he mean by that? Well, what does the very next thing that he says say? Do not despise prophecies. So it can be concluded, how were the Thessalonians quenching the spirit? By despising prophecy. And then notice what he says there, and, and in, in, the, in the Greek it is very, very uh, apparent that these, these things lead into one another. Verse 12, or verse 20, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. If prophecy was the exact same as it was in the Old Testament, why would Christians have to test prophecy, hold fast to what is good, and abhor what is evil? Why would we have to do that if, if it's absolutely infallible? And I would just say this, because the Holy Spirit resides in us, the Holy Spirit, or God gives us a prophecy, God gives us a word, God gives us some sort of revelation of Jesus, of the, the scriptures, not new revelation, but revelation of himself within from within the scriptures, whether that's through illumination, whether that's through connecting dots that we haven't seen before, whether that's God giving us some specific verse that's for a specific person that we're praying for or whatever, that's how God is speaking to us, then the point is what he's communicated to us is infallible. But because of the effects of sin, the way we hear it, the way we interpret it, and the way that we apply it is fallible because that's the part that's on us. So that's, that's like saying, is God's work in regeneration infallible, perfect? Absolutely, Absolutely. yes. But is our communication of the gospel infallible? Absolutely not. So even though he uses imperfect means— but uh, uh, as as the means by which he uses his infallible, miraculous work of regeneration, so too does he use fallible human beings to communicate divine revelation to his people. So hopefully we've kind of um, alleviated the thieves' concern that we don't believe that God is speaking new things, revealing new things about himself, but what he is doing is taking the completed work of his revelation of himself and his will in the Bible, and 
um, and communicating it to people in a way that applies specifically to their lives. That's what we believe prophecy and and the supernatural interaction with God looks like in the in the New Testament uh, era. Yeah, and if you if you want to see this play out, here's here's a couple of quick examples from church history that we can look at is the Trinity. So the idea of the Trinity, it's not mentioned in scripture. The word Trinity doesn't appear there. Um, the idea that God is three in one, that actually came into, came into pass much later than, than when we, the, the apostolic gifts would have ceased. Right. The so idea Council of Nicaea, right? So you, you have all these uh, people coming together and discerning amidst a lot of false teaching, does the Bible, the completed canon of Scripture, teach Trinitarian theology or not? Exactly. And they came to that by revelation, by the Holy Spirit revealing things to them in Scripture. Right. Calvinism, we would say that's 100% biblical. It's it's very much taught in the Bible. That didn't come around until much, much later yeah. that people articulate in the way that we think of it today. Why? Because... Our, our giants of our faith, our forefathers, after the apostolic age, have come to this re- revelation. Now, the key with that is that everything they say can be verified in the right. canon of Scripture. Right. So you can't have a revelation that doesn't get affirmed by Scripture, which is what you're saying, Nate, is that you have to touch everything you think you think you think you're hearing from God, or you think is being revealed to you based on Scripture. Right. Which is why we would reject things like Mormonism and right. things that don't align with what the canon of Scripture says. Yeah, and says. That's, a, that's a perfect example, right? People coming from the Bible and believing that they're getting new extra-biblical revelation, right? Um, whether that's Trinitarian theology, okay, let's not match it up with God's revealed word. Well, no. Uh, well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, Trinitarian theology is scriptural. We can affirm that this is scriptural and and we've brought clarity and we will build confessions around this because we believe that God has spoken to us and confirmed this by his word to us. Well, what about Joseph Smith? What about Mormonism? New divine revelation. Does it line up with scripture? No, that is not a work of God in the heart of Joseph Smith. That is in fact heresy. Exactly. So, um, Okay, well, I mean, we've kind of gotten gotten pretty long here. We don't like to go on for forever. Well, we do like to go on forever, but we recognize you're not going to listen to us forever. Um, so, I mean, between uh, Sam Storm's episode last week where we kind of laid out what uh, charismatic Calvinism looks like, and then this episode where we specifically responded to the thieves, hopefully, um, hopefully this uh, um, kind of puts to rest... Um, at least our, uh, our our back and forth with the thieves on this uh, episode to episode. Uh, they know where we stand. We know where they stand. Uh, we would love to get together. And I think if we're going to go forward from here, we should probably go forward all talking together rather than kind of going back and forth. We love the thieves. Uh, we hope that whether you're right and we're wrong or we're right and you're wrong, that God is leading all of us to truth. Absolutely. Anything else you want to say before we kind of sign off? No, I no, I uh, I think we we kind of covered over two episodes, so I think we've 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 set our piece now. Yep, um, and we just continue to seek the truth eagerly, eagerly with our friends, the thieves. So, yeah. all um, right, have a great week, guys. As always, you can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. 
and have a great one, and, guys. And we actually just added um, on Facebook. So a lot of you who don't listen on iTunes, you listen to us on a different podcast catcher. You can find us on Facebook and actually rate us there. So if you don't right. listen on iTunes, uh, you can actually give us a five-star rating right on our Facebook page now. And we'd, uh, we'd really uh, love that. And we'll probably review those eventually. Yeah, at some point. At some point. Yeah. Anyway, have All right. a great week, guys. Take care. You've been listening to the Rebel Alliance podcast, where we equip you to engage culture through a biblical worldview. Please take the time to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, write a review, and leave a five-star rating. If you would like to see all of our content, which includes podcast episodes uploaded to iTunes each Wednesday, and short videos about engaging culture released on Facebook each Friday, please visit us online at rebelalliancemedia.com. We love hearing from you. So if you have questions, comments, or would like to suggest episode topics, send us a message on Facebook or email us at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thanks for joining us, and you may now consider yourself part of the rebellion.